Moving to Live is a podcast about movement and exercise. We bring you interviews with professionals in the movement and exercise field. The goal is to provide information for other professionals and also amateur movement aficionados, people who understand that movement is part of what makes life complete. Some of the people we interview you will have heard of. They're well known in and outside of the movement and exercise profession. Others you may not have heard of, but they have a great deal of knowledge to share. Many people doing the best work spend their time working with people, not working on their social media presence. We're going to give you a chance to learn from some of these talented and knowledgeable individuals, and we're going to learn along with you. Moving to Live podcasts are going to be short. Each interview will be long enough to impart usable information, but short enough to be able to be consumed in a single bout, during your workout, commute, or even during dinner prep. We all like long-form interviews, but time is valuable. Moving to Live wants to give you the option to learn and be entertained without needing to commit 60 minutes at a time for an interview. Give Moving to Live a listen. Check out our sister podcast, FitLab PGH, which highlights people, businesses, events, and activities in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area that make movement a priority. Moving to Live would love to hear from you. Want to connect with us or have an idea for somebody you think we ought to interview? Drop us an email, mov2liv at gmail.com, or connect with us on Instagram and Twitter, both underscore mov2liv. We're excited to bring you these interviews, and we think you'll enjoy each and every one that we bring you. Moving to Live, along with the sister podcast, FitLab PGH, firmly believe that movement should be treated as a lifestyle, not just an activity. Moving to Live tries to interview people who are involved in the movement field who are in a variety of professions to break down the knowledge silos, because sometimes what somebody says in one profession, maybe somebody else in another profession doesn't listen to. So if you've listened to Moving to Live, we've had a wide variety. Today's guest, I believe, is our second or third personal trainer. And I want to say that probably one of the reasons I haven't had a whole lot of personal trainers on Moving to Live is if you look at social media and you look across the web, not all of them, but most of the ones that you see who really push their social media presence are all about, here's how I look, here's how I get followers. And I know that today's guest doesn't fall under that realm. I've probably followed him on Instagram, Facebook, and various other things for over two years, and his things are always educational. And then I guess a little less than a year ago, he came out with a book, Fitness After 50, dealing with working with individuals uh, who are over 50. And I realized I needed to have him on Moving to Live. So I told John at the beginning of the show, if I butcher any pronunciations, he can embarrass me. So here's my first chance. We are here with John Monteleone. He is the fitness director, if I'm correct, of Why I'm Missing Fitness, which is east of, or excuse me, west of Philadelphia. So John, thanks for taking time to talk to Moving to Live today. Thank you so much for inviting me. And I think my first question, this is always my favorite one because I know you're like me, you go to a lot of conferences and you see somebody in the elevator and you probably peek at their name badge to see who they are because maybe they look familiar and you aren't exactly sure. Somebody sees you at an elevator at a conference or they see you in an elevator and you're wearing your... uh, why I'm missing fitness and training uh, t-shirt. And they say, well, what do you do? What's your elevator spiel or your 30 seconds? This is what John Monteleone does. I improve communities with movement. I may steal that from you. I like that. Okay. And I'm sure that brings the follow-up question where they they say, how? How do you do that? 
as a, I function as a personal trainer. Um, and then with Why Missing Fitness, I'm the director of training. So not only do I see 80 to 90 appointments a week, I also manage a team that sees over 300 plus training sessions. So it's making sure we're providing care to help people move frequently and stay healthy. And I know one of the things that I see whenever you post something on the Why I'm Missing uh, Facebook uh, page or a post, your own personal post about something you do, it seems like Why I'm Missing Fitness does a li- things a little bit differently than what you typically see with personal trainers. I know whenever you bring somebody new on board, one of the things that I always see in the posts is you mention what certifications that they have or how they're qualified or what their specialties are. Is that a conscious choice or is that something that just you look at who the people who come in are and say, boy, we want to show off what they do to potentially bring in more members? It, it's it's definitely part of the marketing side. You know, um, you know like, like you mentioned, Health and fitness industry, unfortunately, is kind of the wild, wild west. So there's a lot of credentials, a lot of certifications. So what has value and what doesn't? Um, I think we do a great job of marketing to differentiate the quality of education experience our trainers have. But lastly, bringing on professionals, I, I'm a big believer you got to hire within your culture. And um, I, there, there's a quote, it's, you know, you can teach someone how to personal train, but you can't teach them how to care for someone. So you got to start there first. If they have that in them, they're going to thrive well within our culture. And then the credentials and that as well are, are good to have. But we also will encourage advanced education um, when you work with us as well. I think you hit on something there that probably needs to be emphasized across the movement and fitness field, professionals. And I, and I one of the things that's really apparent with so many different certifications and so many people thinking, I like to work out, so I'd like to become a personal trainer. I think that area of professionalism is lost, not only the certifications, but the recognition of sometimes it's just a matter with a client of saying, how are you doing today? And maybe it doesn't turn into a a training session. Maybe they just need to talk to you about something. Yeah. At the end of the day, we got to care for another. Um, You know, I I think of it that way because Business, yes, you do need to train. You do need to have sessions that, okay, you have to care for people. And if you can't, if you're not genuine with that, you're not going to be successful in this industry, well, for long. But then, two, you know, what's the point of doing this then, like, if you're not going to help someone? Great point. I'm always interested when I talk to people on moving to live with their professions, finding out their story about how they ended up where they are now. Which oftentimes, if I come back a year or so later and interview you again, it may be entirely different. But I'm just curious, growing up, were you one of those kids who were active either through organized sports or because mom and dad said get outside and play until dinner time? Or were you somebody who discovered movement more along the times when you went to college? Uh, since a child, I, I played I played football from the age of seven all the way into college. Um, uh, but I also had parents that they, they were very big on the streetlight role as a kid, you know, go outside and play. Don't come back till the streetlights come on. So, um, physical activity was very, very much part of our household. And I think that's something I've got a couple of people that I've interviewed before who found fitness as adults. And now they're doing things like 5k races with their, with their kids. And I don't think a lot of people recognize that your children or your cousins or your nieces or nephews, or even just the neighborhood kids, when they see you doing something, they model that, you know, they don't necessarily say that's the strange guy who's doing kettlebells out in his garage. They say, Hey, that's kind of cool. Can I try that? 
it, it, I, I look at it this way. Movement is generational. You know, if your parents are physically active, their parents were, chances are you're going to be, you're going to follow that because that's part of your culture of your household. And it's also a great way of bonding. And, and I think that's fantastic. I know. I like to tell people who ask me what I do is uh, one of the things that I did is when I was in college, I was a two-year division three junior varsity soccer player, which means I wasn't very good. And then I kind of moved on and worked more on my education and realized that I needed to do other things if I wanted to stay involved in the movement field. At what point, you mentioned you played football, at what point did you realize, okay, this is kind of getting to the end. I'm not going to be able to take it to the next level or I don't want to. And was that because you recognized maybe my skill wasn't there or there was some sort of an injury? Uh, one was an injury, uh, but two, uh, it, was, uh, it was my uh, upbringing for my parents. Uh, I, I was good at football. Uh, but I had parents that, that always taught me, you know, you're very good, but always remember there's someone that's going to be bigger, faster, and stronger. And, and the point of that was, you know, always work hard, but then also have a plan B. You know, you may be great at this, but what's your plan B if it doesn't work? So academics were always um, very much part of my upbringing. Like you had to do well in school and you had to focus. So that that's uh, what led me on that path. Then how did you decide, I've got the advantage if you filled out a questionnaire and I'm looking at your bio, how did you decide I'm going to Penn State and that's where I'm going to go to college? I actually uh, transferred there because uh, I wanted to walk onto the football team. Um, I, I made it to a second tryout with them. I got cut, did not make it. Uh, and in the process, I actually found kinesiology, which got me into uh, studying, studying the body movement. And that's when I was like, wow, this is, I need to be here. And you, like me, know if you keep in touch with any of your classmates from from that time, there's probably a minimum of 10 or 11 different types of jobs that they could be doing with a kinesiology degree. It's really one of those degrees that opens up a lot of doors if you can think about it and if you're innovative. So you, as somebody who obviously had a love for football, found kinesiology, now you're a professional personal trainer. Why the personal training route versus saying, you know, I'd like to go into coaching or I'd like to be a strength coach and stay working with athletes and football players? Well, I, I still work with athletes and football players. Um, I, I decided on the route of personal trainer because I could work with everyone. Um, uh, you know, they always say stay, find your niche that you're happy with. I, I just like helping, um, helping people. So I work with clients that are spinal cord injury to professional athletes and everyone in between. Um, that's, that's why I chose um, the personal trainer around. And then look at, looking at that, looking back when you first said, you know, this is the path I'm going to take and looking where you are now, is there a group of individuals that you really have a passion and really enjoy working with now that if, say, uh, junior year of college or senior year of college, John, John would say, yeah, I'm really not interested in working with that particular group of people? Honestly, it's uh, it's probably the 50, 50 and over population. Uh, I never thought I would, I would have such a connection to that that type of demographic, and uh, you know the joy in that is you know you know you know we see the statistics of lack of physical activity or movement, and in this population, to some sense, I'm very physically active. So to see them start moving and start getting healthier and start noticing they don't need as much medication, that. That, that's something you go home and you're like, wow, that, that's an impact. You, know, you help that person, you improve their quality of life. That's a huge impact. We're talking to John Monteleone. He is the 
personal trainer and director of fitness at Why I'm Missing Fitness. I'm curious, you graduate from college, and I know some of our listeners are either people who are just movement aficionados who may still be in school, or they may be looking at career changes. You graduate from college, and you and I both know there are a variety of certifications. There are a variety of job settings. How long did it take you to find a job, and what did you, what did you do to prepare for that? What certifications did you look at, and then how did you get around to getting the job? I um I graduated in 2008 uh, when the economy went through that big recession. So I, I worked a third shift gas station job, 11, 11 p.m., 7 a.m. at night. And then I walked to the closest gym, which is called the North Club on, uh, it's like 1511 Martin Street. And um, I just started, I worked as their front desk. Um, and I worked like eight to noon, walked, went home, went sleep and repeated. Um, the point of that story is, that was my foot into the industry. As I was doing this, I was studying for my uh, exercise, certified exercise physiologist with ACSM, um, getting ready to take that credential. And I was climbing um, to full-time position at the North Club. And I'm always curious with the variety of certifications. I know I've interviewed a variety of people and you always think of the gold standards for personal training certifications or ACSM, NASM, National Strength and Conditioning Association, and ACE. What was the reason for saying, this is the certification I'm going to pursue? And I'm looking and I see you've got a whole alphabet soup, and I say that in a positive way of certifications now. I, um, I, uh, Penn State's very big ACSM and NSCA. Uh, I originally, when I was going to kinesiology, I was really considering medicine. So out of the two um, uh, organizations, logically, it's choice. Uh, in a process of uh, passing that credential, I started working with special populations, really enjoyed that, but also wanted to start working with athletes. And that's when I started uh, studying for my certified strength and conditioning specialist with that. And then you've also gone on and gotten the personal training certification from the NSCA. I, uh, I'm sorry. I, I was just going to say, what is the reason for that additional? Because I know you talk to some people and I can tell from looking at this and the fact that you've written a book that you're somebody who's constantly seeking to learn more. Some people say, okay, I've graduated from college. I've got these one or two certifications. That's it. Why the continuing education for you personally? So we live in a uh, knowledge-based economy. So what we know now is going to be obsolete two years from now, just with so much research and development, how much information, how much content is available now. Um, so I, I, just my personal view, I, I believe it's very short-sighted as a professional if to just obtain your credential and then just stop learning. You have to keep learning because things are changing. I, a prime example, look at high, uh, hit training, high-intensity interval training. You know, that was something that was considered very taboo. Now we're actually finding out there's actually benefits with certain special populations. So it just shows you how fast things move. Yeah, I know. It's a few years ago. I do a podcast for the NSCA Strength and Conditioning Journal, and there was somebody who wrote an article that I interviewed him. I forget his name, and I apologize, but about doing interval training with a senior population. And I think, you know, 10 years ago, people would have said, no, don't do that. And now it's it's one of those top things that people say with the right population. Absolutely, it it, it 
it's, it's, it seems kind of silly, but, you know, hit to some extent, that type of training is no different that, you know, before gyms, before grocery stores, if everyone's out in the wild and you're either being chased or you're hunting something, that's that short, brief moment of burst of energy of everything you got, you recover, and then you go again. Well, it's just the workout now. And although it doesn't hold true, I'm here uh, just south of Pittsburgh. It hasn't held true this year. But if you've got a fairly heavy snowfall and you have to shovel your driveway or a walk, that can be considered a version of hit training too, because you have to get that snow moved. You're incredibly accurate. You know, think about how many uh, cardiovascular events, unfortunately, do happen because of that event. Because it's a short brief bout of intensity, and and if you're not body's not prepared or we're not physically active, there's an issue. So you started working two jobs, got your foot in the door. And I know one of the things that happens with people who are personal trainers or people who are involved in, in the fitness field is very often they burn out because they say, you know, it's just too much work for not enough money. And one of the ways I get money is through through personal training. And it's only based on the number of hours that I put in and I'm just burned out. Other people just seem to thrive on it. Why do you think you seem to thrive on it and said, you know, this is my career. This isn't just something that I'm looking back and said, yeah, I worked as a personal trainer for a while, but now I do this. Several things. One, uh, there's a great book uh, by Simon Sinek called Start With Why. People don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. I just love helping people. So if I wasn't a personal trainer, if I was in another industry, I just enjoy helping people. Uh, my connection with personal trainers, I just love the exercise, the health fitness aspect. But then also, the, I believe you know everyone should have a plan or a long-term goal they're shooting for. Um, you know, If you want to make this your career choice, you, you don't have to work. You're going to put in a lot of long hours at first, but you have to build your relationships. You have to build your clientele book. And eventually, time changes where you're not putting that much hours in. But you, you, there's, there's a lot of legwork you have to put in to get started. It's very analogous to a physician getting started or, or an attorney or even um, a financial advisor. You have to build your book first. So we're talking with John Monteleone. He's given a, a good example of what it means to be a professional. And I think one of the take-home messages that's often missed by people who come into the field or see what somebody does teaching a class or working with a, a, a client is they didn't get there overnight. So one of the things that I think is really important for what you've done is you've shown in the last few minutes the progression of starting working a job working a second job and working your way up and seeing that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. How do you educate uh, interns that you get or young professionals to recognize that, you know, those long hours you're working at the beginning, those variety of jobs that you're doing at the beginning, maybe having to work a second job, isn't necessarily what's going to be the requirement for your entire career. You're still going to have to work hard, but you can progress in what you do. We're, we're very big at our company with uh, mentoring and, and creating a culture where you, you're showing at, um, as your, your younger professionals are coming in, they always see a bigger picture. So when I do a quarterly eval with my, my trainers, my staff, you know, the, the evaluations aren't of, oh, you're doing this right, you're doing this wrong. It's, hey, how's this going? How do you feel here? Where's, um, where do you feel you, you want to improve and get better? Um, what's the bigger picture for you? Uh, and when you start approaching that way with uh, your interns and, and the younger professionals getting started, 
they start realizing that, yeah, there's going to be a, there's a long track to get started, but as long as you just keep putting one foot in front of the other, good things happen. I know one of the things that people, people often miss is they don't really have a clear expectation. When you have your interns who come in, how do you describe to them what their what the expectations for them are as interns? And then how do you describe or give them a good idea of what would happen if they progress and decide this is the career I'm going to follow post-graduation? So um, interns, when they come, when they come in, they, sh- they uh, shadow, shadow our trainers. A big part I have them do right away is they have to be in contact with every trainer on staff. It sounds a very bizarre way, but the first step for them is feel comfortable reaching out to someone you don't know and set up a, a relationship or a contact to set up time to intern. At that point, then they schedule their time with the trainer's time of when they can shadow certain training sessions. So these are these are very big key steps for them because if they feel comfortable stepping out of that box and communicating, um, that gets them to the next room that now when they're in a session, they're seeing the mannerisms of professional conduct that we hold at, at our clubs. And as they're learning this, I, I meet with them weekly to check in and, you know, you know why why did you see Andrew Sam like this during a training session or why was Julie approaching this situation like this? So they start, um, they start seeing like, hey, this is the way you go forward and this is how you uh, find your way in this industry if you so choose to. And I'm curious because I know as somebody who started out as a very shy person. And if you told me three years ago that I'd be doing a podcast and contacting people like you cold Turkey to say, Hey, want to be on my podcast? I probably would say you're crazy. Do you find for a lot of the interns who come in that being that outgoing person is difficult and it's part of that as a learning process, or do you find for most of them, it's a pretty easy process to just walk in and introduce themselves? No, it's definitely a learning process. Uh, that's a, uh, and it, that, that's a, big reason why I like, I prefer uh, intern. I'll have them set up here. I need you to contact these trainers and, and do that because if they're not comfortable even starting that point of, of a contact, what are you going to do in this industry? If you have a client that's interested in training with you and you actually have to call them set up a session. That's a, that's a great point. I'm interested also along those lines, just with your professional thoughts. I've had some people in the field to say, you know, I think it should be a requirement or strongly encouraged either for young professionals in the field or even students in college to find an organization such as Toastmasters so that they become uh, comfortable and familiar speaking in public and speaking to groups of people. I know uh, just from following you on social media, you've been on a number of radio shows, a number of television shows. And for some people, and I think you probably have friends who are like this, when they see what you do, they say, I could never do that. I'm terrified to speak to people. And I think at the end of the day, personal trainers, anybody who's involved in the movement field, you have to be comfortable doing that because part of the communication is being comfortable talking to people you don't know. What do you think about ways that, such as Toastmasters, that young professionals and even students could work to improve it so when they get out in the workplace, it's easier for them to communicate? Toastmasters is the best one. Uh, it's funny when, when you brought that up. That that's what I uh, that's what I did for the first couple of years. I would go to a couple of meetings, sit in, and get comfortable with public public speaking in front of people. Um, I, I think that's incredibly key. And, and this is a, another one I, we recommend at the club uh, when we teach um, some of our trainers to get involved with, like let's say boot camps or like you know now you're coaching in front of thirty to forty people. 
we'll bring staff and other trainers in that they may not know and have them coach and uh, work to public speak and teach, you know, hey, this is exercise during this workout in this circuit. But it's a way now they actually get practical hands-on experience of talking to a large group, but then also you can get positive feedback in the process. That's a, a great idea. I'm curious, you've continually referred to this uh, in this interview to use the term profession and professional. Was mm-hmm. that driven into you or not dr- driven into you as a bad term? Was that something that was really encouraged at Penn State or did you have specific mentors who said, you know, this is the way you want to do it? It was uh, Penn State and um, it, part, part of it's uh, my upbringing of uh, my parents of just I, I was always taught, you know, dress for the, when you go to a job interview, just for a job you want, not for the one you're going to get. So I always believe in just, you have to conduct yourself at a certain standard, but then two, or excuse me, point three is, a uh, you know, this is also an industry that, you know, there are stereotypes as we, as you brought up earlier, earlier, um, during the podcast, you know, there are certain stereotypes about trainers and that. So I always believed if, if I was going to make a career here, you have to conduct yourself at a higher standard. You have to. That's a that's non-negotiable. And I know you've mentioned that we're an information society. One of the things that I commented on as I was giving your intro is the fact that when I see uh, why I'm missing fitness uh, or your own personal Instagram posts or Facebook posts, they're a little bit different than the typical personal trainer post that you see. There's nobody there who's got their shirt off or a woman in a very skimpy outfit, you know, showing off the tattoos. It's always professionally dressed as a trainer or as a client. And there's always, rather than saying, this is the program I use to get ripped, or this is the program that I use to do this, there's always an educational component. Is that something that you kind of set as a standard, lead by example, or is that something that you just hire good people and they, you're just encouraging what they already do. Lead by example. Um, you know, if if you don't like a way thing, it way certain things are, do what you can to help change it. So, um, even across the board with our company, we do a great job that when we post content, it should have some form of um, some form of education. Even if it's a silly silly post, there's something to it that's at least positive and educational. We're talking with John Monteleone. He is the director of training at Why I'm Missing Fitness. One of the things that first attracted me to want to get you on this podcast is not only have you made a career of personal training, I've commented on the fact that I've really been impressed with the various social media posts that I've seen by you and, and your uh, people who work with you. But then you made the decision, hey, I'm going to write a book. Talk a little bit about what the book is and why you decided to do that when so many people would say, you know, you're a director of training, you have your own clients. Where do you find time to do that? Uh, you, you make time. Uh, I, I believe you gotta be, you know, we all have 24 hours in a day. It's just what we do with it. So I, I knew four years ago when I started writing a book, if I'm going to do this, you need to be very disciplined with your time management skills. So that was a great, um, great lesson uh, from while working on the book. Uh, going back to it, the, the book is simply if you're approaching 40 or over, or over the age of 50, if you're thinking about exercising or have never, or do exercise, this is just a book that provides information and says, 
keep exercising, keep doing what you're doing. Or, hey, if you're not, hey, now's the time to – here's a call to action to get started. Um, and and that, that was really rooted in um, just working with clients over the last 10 years where, you know, you see clients very quickly that have a plan for their retirement and, and life beyond the age of 50. And, and those that did not, and you see the consequences that were involved with that. Um, so I felt like this was a very timely book to say, Hey, let, let's, let's stay active. Let's keep going. I think it's interesting as you just made the comment, whether you realize it or not, four years ago, when I first started writing this book, I think people underestimate the time commitment it takes to do something and the length of time. How long did it actually take from the time you started doing it until you actually had a copy of it in your hand? Four and a half years. I, I got it published September September 15th, I think. I want to say of last year. And when you first started doing it the first couple of months in, did you think it would take that long? No. No, I didn't. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, what, what is it called? The planning fallacy? I was like, ah, okay, maybe a year and a half, two years, and then four and a half later. But, you know, you just keep chipping away, right? It seems that anybody that I've talked to who's done a big project like that, the the initial concept, if it's the first time they've done it, they typically underestimate the time amount of time it's going to take by about 50%. <laughs> I'm, I'm bullseye then, right? <laughs> so now that you've done one, any plans to do a second one at some point in time? Yes, I actually have um, two ideas for, for books coming up. The second one, I'll probably start writing... Um, this summer, probably around June, July. Uh, I'll put you on the spot here with that. Do you anticipate that'll also take four, four and a half years? Or are you thinking maybe it'll go a little faster because some of the humps you've already gone over? It, it will be faster this time because um, I, I, I understand the system now. <laughs> and uh, I understand the, the time that one must dedicate to it. So I, I would probably say if I start in June, I, I actually can knock this one out in two years which is still quite a long period of time for, for many people. I'm curious also, just because I think one, one of the things that uh, I believe, and I know you hit on it, you said we're an information society and it's so easy to get information, but at the same time, it's so hard to potentially find good information, to find information that's useful, that actually is out there to help people as opposed to out there to increase your social media followers or get people to, uh, think that you're the master trainer who has the, the only way. With the writing process, how different was it to put your ideas down on paper versus when you're doing maybe a continuing education seminar with people that you work with or people outside of your a fitness facility? Can you repeat the question one more time? Sure. So one of the things that's very involved is getting out the word on education. And you mentioned the fact that there's so much information out there in an information society. Looking back on it, how difficult was it to get the information down on paper to give out to clients, potential clients and people over 40 approaching 50 in the written way versus what you were used to doing more so with working in clients one-on-one -on -one verbally or teaching group classes verbally? Book, book was incredibly di difficult uh, because, you know, you, you also get a bias in information, right? You know, if you're 
working with certain demographics, certain clientele, you're going to understand them better. You understand the client psychology. And the point with that is things that you think are very simplistic actually may not be the, might be con- com- complex. You know, I mentioned the book about, you know, steps to do when, when looking for a gym and entering gym, because I found out a lot of clients were kind of petrified because they'd never been to a gym. They didn't know how to find a personal trainer or, you know, if they need help, how would they go about it? And, and so the point with that is it's constantly looking at um, the information you're trying to share and then not water it down, but break it down a smaller bit so it's easier to digest. And I'm all I'm always curious about how people try to get their message out. Why a book versus blog posts or a series of videos? Because you know, as you mentioned, there's multiple ways to get information. Well, I I uh, I'm very active on social media, so the platforms there to produce content. Um, pretty comfortable with that, but I wanted a book. So I wanted something tangible that you know. You know, personally, uh, as far as my career, I wanted something I could look back. At, you know, let's say five years from now, I'm like, wow, it's cool. I, I wrote, I wrote a book, um, and I wrote a book that helped people get active. Um, that, that was kind of important to me because I feel like that that's like a cool benchmark in one's career. I'm curious now. You've you've written a book. You're you're leading. Other ideas that you have for progressing what you do in the field, you know, new classes that you want to adapt, other areas of, of expertise you want to try to acquire? I, uh, I completed a certification in um, Square One Systems by um, a gentleman of, by Sean Sherman. Uh, great guy, by the way. Uh, but he created this system that looks at central nervous system testing. And the point of that where, where I'm veering in my career is starting to realize, you know, when it comes to functional movements, you know, we can do, we can, you know, teach a squat, we can teach a uh, Romanian deadlift, but how do we know their body's actually moving in a proper alignment? Or how do we know, you know, that hip hinge is moving at the optimal point for, for their body, how it interprets space. The point is that the central nervous system um, testing uh, Sean came up with, uh, it's cleared up a lot of questions I've had with, with that part of training. We're talking with John Monteleone. He is the director of training at why I'm missing fitness. John, if you can offer one or two pieces of advice for young professionals in the field, or maybe somebody who's entering their last year in school that you wish you'd had when you first entered the field, what would they be? Uh, if you're going into this field, just remember patience. Uh, Rome was not built in the day. I know it's cliche, but just remember that, you know, where you are today is not where you're going to be a year from now or two or three years from now. Um, three, consistency. Um, no, you're going to have some long days when you first start out. I'm not saying that to deter you, but consistency. Show up every day. If you can do that, you are going to be further ahead than most people um, in this in this industry. And I think most in general, just those two things. Just having patience, knowing what you want, and then just have the consistency to show up every day. You will be... Um, you'll be in a good place. Great advice from John Monteleone. We will have extensive show notes, including a link to where you can purchase his book. John, I want to thank you for taking time to talk to Moving to Live about your career and your emphasis on being a professional in the field of personal training. Thank you so much, Ben. (music) 
Thanks for listening to the latest episode of Moving to Live. Make sure you check out the show notes for contact information for our latest guest, as well as links about all the things we talked about. Intro and exit music is Traveling Light by Jason Shaw. You can subscribe to Moving to Live on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play, and be notified about new episode releases. Have any questions, comments, or suggestions? Drop us an email, mov2liv at gmail.com. Connect with us on Twitter or Instagram, both underscore mov2liv. Please tell your friends about Moving to Live. It's a go-to place for information for movement and exercise professionals and amateur aficionados who understand that movement is part of what makes your life complete. Until next week, keep on moving.